Schofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. And we welcome in everyone across the Silver State from Las Vegas and Reno here on Cofield and Company on your Friday afternoon. Willie Ramirez out at the Golden Circle at TI until 6 p.m. Adam Candy here with you, Ari, at the Finley Toyota Studios as we hit the big four. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the big four at four. Number four. Number four is actually the number six. That is the amount of wins thus far for the two basketball teams in the state of Nevada on the men's side. Six and O, oh, Wolfpack three and O, oh, Rebels three and O, oh, both in action here tonight. In fact, uh, Pack will be taking the floor in just about an hour against UT Arlington, trying to go to four and O oh on the year. And of course, the running Rebels will be out at the TNM tonight taking on High Point. High Point averaging 100 points per game coming in. But, of course, the Rebels are entering this game on a high, having defeated Dayton and doing it with defense. And that, I thought, was the most impressive part of this. 21st-ranked Dayton came into the TNM, and the Rebels, after falling down early on, really turned on the clamps. And it wasn't just one or two players. It really was team buy-in on defense. And it's not the kind of team that I think Rebel fans will remember from years upon years ago when it's just about slowing the game down, playing that great defense, and being able to limit the other team. It's not a brand of basketball that's going to be played up in the 80s or maybe even the 70s, but it's the kind of brand of basketball that the Rebels can use to, I think, at least maintain a competitive edge this year in the Mountain West. Number three. All right, Willie. Uh, as we move along here in the big four, you you are buying into the theme that I mentioned earlier. And I'm, I'm wondering why this is. Because I said that there's never been a better time to be a hater. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is down. And Tom Brady is struggling. And, God, the Patriots aren't good anymore. I mean, it is a hater's dream. And and you're buying in hard. You think that it's a good thing that these fans who have made the trek all the way to Qatar for the World Cup are not going to be allowed to drink at the stadium. That was the news we got today, is that you can, you can drink your Budweiser in the designated fan zones, but you can't drink at the stadium, why is it a good thing that you're not able to have some suds out at the footy? Well, we see, you know, in different sports, we have seen, right, fights. It, it always, and it really blows up on Twitter at the beginning of every season. I don't know about NBA games, but, like, you know, big outdoor stadiums, football, whatever it may be, you see these. But there's just something, the violent outbreaks of, of you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, Section-wide fights, right? The, 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 it's more that it's, it's multiple rows of people that get involved. It's always at soccer games. Now, I don't know if it if alcohol has to do with it, but if it does, and and it it can sort of you know put a clamp on that. I, I just. I just have to wonder how much alcohol has to do with these fights that we see in soccer stands. Again, 
it's not like a, a, a handful of people, you know, two, three guys arguing over one row. I, I just, every time I think of a soccer, you hear, did you see the fight in the soccer stadium? And you go to Twitter to look up the highlight, and it's a section or it's a bunch of people. And if 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 it's intoxicated people that are that's causing this, then I just felt like it's a better thing. What if you're a happy drunk like me? What if what if you're not someone who gets angry when you have a, a couple of pints, right? What if you're someone who starts singing all, all of the fun soccer songs that that are out there? What 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 if I'm someone who just likes to chant like a moron out there? It, it, shouldn't I have the God-given right to yes. be able to down a few pints and sing my, to my heart's content instead? I gotta be sober in the Middle East well, to no, go you don't watch have... my team play soccer. Well, you don't have to be sober. What you can do is you can show up spirited, if you will, feeling it, and then by the time the game's over, you'll be able to drive just fine. Oh my! Here's the worst part. Here, here's here's what Willie is advocating for. He's advocating for one of these teams is going to lose. Well, likely <laughs> one of these teams is going to lose by the time we get to uh, by the time we get to the knockout rounds. One of these teams is going to lose, and I'm going to be losing my buzz when my team is down 4-0, and it's going to be the worst possible experience. Yeah. I'm gonna, and, like, and, and, the and hangover's be, coming. And you're going to lose, be losing your bet, too. Oh, my Oh my God. I, you know what? This is just this is hater stuff on a different kind of level. We need to have beer at the World Cup. Number two. And where we don't need to have beer, very clearly, is in the hands of NFL players and coaches after a game. Willie, I can't believe that after the Henry Ruggs situation that we're talking about someone prominent in the NFL getting a DUI. But former Raiders offensive coordinator and current Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing uh, was popped for DUI at 4.30 in the morning following the Titans' victory over the Green Bay Packers, prompting a very stern note from Roger Goodell to all organizations, but clearly targeted to the Titans, saying that there is no alcohol allowed on team planes, in team buildings, etc. Wink, wink is how everybody appears to have looked at that over time here. But let's get back to the point about Todd Downing driving drunk, because it's been reported the Titans have access to free lift rides for everybody in the organization. I don't care about free lift rides when you're making the kind of money an NFL coach is making. You don't need to worry about free or not free, Willie. It, it just blows my mind that after Henry Ruggs, we're still having this discussion. R.I.P. Tina Tintor. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't get it. And that game was in Green Bay. So, how many shots, or what did he have to drink, and what was his alcohol, uh, blood alcohol level, in terms of flying home from Green Bay and then driving? I'm assuming he drove from the airport. That's I, I don't know. Or or did he get off the plane after a big win in Green Bay and go straight to the bar? I mean, this is right. They were they, they got on the plane after the game and came home, and this guy's driving home at 7 a.m. Central. Or that's when he was released. Excuse me. He was booked at 4:39 in the morning. It's it's beyond belief. Especially it was like after a game. You know, they're off for 10 days. I mean, you get home, get settled, and enjoy the next couple of days off, whatever it is that the team's going to do. But, I mean, I have to wonder, what, what were they serving on that charter? Uh, apparently far too much. And I, I think the, the memo is well taken from 
Roger Goodell, but it's also a little bit hollow because if we're at the point where the NFL has to send out a league-wide memo to all 32 teams saying, hey, just as a reminder, no alcohol on the plane, don't we get a pretty strong feeling that there's been a blind eye turned to a bigger problem here for quite a while and i can see where you can look at it as innocent on some level if it's like oh the guys are done with the game let them have a beer well this is where it becomes a problem and the nfl obviously knows that they're going to have some level of culpability if someone like todd downing gets overserved within a team facility or on a team plane what if he had gone out there and had a henry ruggs kind of situation where someone gets killed and just just to point out, the flights from Milwaukee to Nashville nonstop, this has got to be a charter, is an hour and 35 minutes. So depending on when that game got, you know, when when they left the stadium to get, usually, right, they, they, they pack up and they get right to the, to the airport and they go. Maybe he got home and went right to the bar for considering there was 4.30 in the morning, an hour and a it's half possible. flight. So he got home, he went straight out. He went right out to the bar. And, and you know what? If that's what you want to do, go ahead. But as you mentioned, they said, Mike Grable noted, the Titans have had a program for employees to call for a ride home no matter the time of the day before he was hired as head coach in January 2018. This is a program that's been in place. Yeah, and and the thing is, Roger Goodell kind of gave the game away by sending this memo out today because if nothing had been served along the Tennessee road back to Nashville, Roger Goodell does not feel the need to send a memo out to everybody. Number one. Raiders and Broncos this weekend in the battle for, I don't know, not being in last place in the AFC West, uh, uh, apparently. That's uh, about what's left to play for 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 both of these teams. Uh, Willie, it doesn't have to be this way. The Broncos, with as good as that defense has been, had they scored 18 points just 18 points thus far in every one of their games, they would be in a playoff spot here at the moment. You flagged a story about what is wrong with the Denver offense. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's, it, there's such a collection of things that you can point to, and I still believe that it starts at the top that's causing these things, but from Russell Wilson to receiver production, um, injuries, it's causing inconsistency. The offensive line, it hasn't come to fruition. It's a it's a collection of just it, it it's almost that's why we talked about at the beginning of this, uh, of the beginning of the show in terms of why these are such mirrored offenses or excuse me, mirrored teams and what they're going through. And it again, I believe it starts at the top. Nathaniel Hackett, as the subhead says, hasn't been able to push the right buttons. We are not seeing an efficient. You are not going to tell me that this is now. You're not going to tell me it's Russell Wilson's fault. I will say that at the beginning of the season, during when we were warming up for the NFL season in August, I said specifically, Russell Wilson's not the answer. He's not going to show up, and all of a sudden, Denver's going to be fixed. But I'm also not putting the onus on him entirely. This is a this is an entire mess. This entire unit. And hack as a head coach, you have to be able to look through those things, those troubles, and how to fix it. But when you look at every facet of this offense, it's horrendous, and it's doing this team in. And, you know, the defense has been fantastic to its credit. When you have an offense that can't sustain drives, can't stay on the um, 
on the field, what happens? Your stop unit gets tired, but yet they've maintained. Denver averaging 14.6 points per game, lowest in the league. Their red zone percentage last, 35%. 20 trips to the red zone, 7 touchdowns in those 20 trips. Just the fact that they've only gotten there 20 times, in a sense, is, I mean, they're Points per drive average, 1.25 points per drive. It's horrible. It is. It is horrible. And I think the mirror looks the same until you get to this particular point, and then we get into the funhouse where things get a little bit distorted. With the Broncos, they gave Russell Wilson a massive, massive contract extension. So Russell Wilson isn't going anywhere. They would be in cap hell if they tried to get rid of Russell Wilson right now. Nathaniel Hackett is being employed by an organization that just was purchased for multiple billions of dollars by a group led by the Walmart family. Now, on the other side, you have Mark Davis and Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels has a long contract. Derek Carr has a contract that has no dead money after this year. When you lose like this in the NFL, someone pays the price. I think in Denver, you're much more likely to see the coaching staff pay the price. And with the Raiders, you're much more likely to see either Derek Carr or someone else on the field lose their job before Josh McDaniels loses his job, before Dave Ziegler loses his job. When we return in just a moment, great guest, one of the best in all time in college football, one of the best in the NFL, Ricky Williams, going to talk to us. He's deep into the cannabis biz these days here on Cofield Company. Henry on the left side into the end zone. Touchdown, tight. Derek Henry to Pager, and the Titans cash in on the great field position. You could not have asked for any more. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Courtesy Titans Radio as Derek Henry and the Tennessee Titans pick up the victory on Thursday Night Football last week. Stay in front in the AFC South at 7-3. Willie Ramirez out at the Golden Circle at TI. Adam Candy and Ari at the Finley Toyota Studios. Uh, Derrick Henry, obviously, uh, if not the premier running back, one of the premier running backs in all of the NFL. And online with us is a guy who definitely could lay claim to that title at one time. Uh, Ricky Williams, former Heisman Trophy winner, former NFL star running back, joins uh, Cofield and Company today in a slightly different uh, capacity. Ricky, welcome. How you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, let's get to the good stuff here at the start and talk about your new venture with Heisman, what you're doing uh, in Las Vegas, and uh, you know what you have going on the business side of things. Yeah, um, so I'm sure everyone in Vegas knows that in every November, the cannabis industry descends it sends on Vegas. So MJ BizCon has been going on all week. And we made our first visit out here last week. I mean, last year to launch the brand. And this year, picking up momentum, gaining traction, um, had a lot of great meetings. And it's, it's, it's always great when the industry comes together because um, we, can, we, can, we can hug, we can share the, the woes of, of a difficult market, and we can, we can envision together. So I've really enjoyed my, my time here. 
And that kind of leads into, I think, the natural question that I'm sure you're asked often, but at the same time, I think it bears discussing the idea of how the acceptance of marijuana has changed in the United States in the last 20 years or so. We know that uh, Nevada has legalized recreational use along with a, a number of other states, but it's obviously not everywhere quite yet. So when you talk to your, your fellow entrepreneurs, uh, what sort of stories are you sharing? You know, the, the main challenge that we all have is, is beating the stigma. Um, you know, it, it really limits this industry from being what it can be, and it limits a lot of people from getting access to something that can provide a lot of relief for them. And so that's part of the conversation. And each year it's different because we're all reflecting on the past year and, and looking forward to the upcoming year. And this past, the thing I, I heard over and over and over again is how cannabis companies have been struggling this past year. And it's relative, you know, coming out of COVID where people had free money, you know, they were spending a lot of that uh, extra income on cannabis. And now that things are, are a little tighter, the industry is really hurting. So that, that was really the, the main struggles that, that people are, are having right now. Ricky, uh, my question is, I, my son, he's a, a gym owner here in town. We have a private training facility. Um, he's a two-time natural bodybuilding champion. And, he, had, he has found that uh, cannabis is better for muscle recovery than, you know, taking um, ibuprofen and, and, or, or pain pills. And I had meniscus surgery in April, and the doctor was like, well, what do you want me to prescribe for you? I was like, well, nothing really because I would just rather, you know, smoke or have edibles to, to recover from the pain. I, I have no problem with it. My question is for the professional sports have you do you know since you're a former professional athlete are they starting to relax sort of paying attention to if uh players are using for um, additional purposes or for muscle recovery or for relaxation in the privacy of their own home like have is has, when they do their testing has that has that side of it gone away for the most part not, not in the NFL. It's gone away, and it hasn't been there in Major League Baseball. This past year, it's gone away from Minor League Baseball. It's gone now from the NBA. It's been gone from NHL for a while. It's really just the NFL. And the NFL has relaxed um, the punishment. No, like myself, players will not be suspended anymore for failing uh, cannabis tests. And the reality is the NFL only tests once a year. It's in training camp. The guys know when it's coming. So for the most part... Um, you know, during the season, guys are allowed to smoke as long as they stay out of trouble. And then, and, and, and you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned the physical elements, and and I think that's been a big part of the conversation to open people's minds to what cannabis can do. Yeah. Um, but it's gone so far now. We're actually having real conversations about uh, cannabis helping with mental health issues, and that's really how I how I connected to cannabis. Even though I was a football player and beating myself up, um, I was good at that. You know, it was more of the emotional, mental stuff that I struggled with, and yes. cannabis really provided a lot of a lot of relief for me on, on that end. I was, and that was, that's where I was following up. I am a major mental health advocate. Um, I, I speak on it a lot of times. I post it all over my social media, um, and I find that doctors, you know, um, years ago, fifteen years ago. Um, Doctors would tell me because of anxiety um, and different issues. You know, at one point I was prescribed Lortab and Xanax at the same time, and it, it was just—it was the most horrible feeling. Whereas now, um, 
a, a nice sativa does wonders for the aches and pains after leg day or when I'm just having a stressful mental day. Yeah. Yeah, you, you said it. You know, one of the things that Heisman is really pushing is the, talking about the word achievement. And, and for so long, cannabis and achievement have been two things that are on opposite sides of the spectrum. My personal experience is cannabis helped me achieve what I did on the football field. It's helped me achieve what I've done as a parent. It's helped me achieve what I do as an astrologer. And there's something, when I went back to school after, after retiring, it helped me focus and, and turn my papers in on time. And I think now that I'm leading the charge, talking about cannabis this way, not caring what the old stigma was and really sharing the reality of what my experience has been, I'm finding a lot of people are sharing the same kinds of experiences. And, and it's wonderful. You know? Ricky Williams joining us to talk about uh, his company, Heisman, uh, with the cannabis entrepreneurship that he's involved in, the industry at large. And, and Ricky, I'm, for those who might not have been following your career at the time you were in the NFL and facing potential suspension for marijuana use, maybe help people understand how did you deal with your decision to retire at the time and the attitude that you were facing from the National Football League? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. You know, it was almost 20 years ago. So back in 2024, um, I ended up failing my second, third, my third test for, for cannabis, and I faced the, a four-game suspension and also the public knowing that I was a cannabis consumer. And at the time, um, you know, I... I said, I am a cannabis consumer, and it's not okay with the NFL, so I'm going to leave the NFL and, and pursue other interests. And, and that's what I did, and the way the story broke is NFL player gives up a you know, career for, for pot, weed, whatever they called it at the time. And um, it's partially true, but partially not. And I received a lot of you know, a lot of flack, obviously, from friends, family, fans. And I had a decision to make. I said, you know, did I really throw my life away, or, or am I on to something? And I spent that year off really on like a spiritual quest, getting to know myself and, and get my priorities straight. And, uh, and, and I learned a lot about cannabis, and I realized that I wasn't the person that was wrong, that I think the NFL was in the wrong for not allowing us to be able to take care of ourselves in holistic and natural ways. You know, NFL passes out Ambien and, and opioids like, like they're Skittles. Um, and I think it's, what's changed in the NFL really is the players have, have taken a stance. The players have said, we're no longer talking about cannabis in terms of abuse. We're talking about cannabis in terms of health and wellness. And yeah. as that conversation continues, we're gonna, I think we're going to keep seeing a lot, of, a lot of things change. You know, and you, you sound certainly at peace with where you are and, and enjoying what you're doing. I, I, just, I wonder if, it, if the thought ever crosses your mind about had you been born into this era where things are a, a bit more accepting, relaxed, maybe not as much as you would like to see, but certainly a lot more than when you were coming up. You know, I think the main difference is I would, I would be in real time acknowledged as an advocate. No, I think if there was a, a current athlete right now brave enough to take a stand, uh, as long as they were, pass, were, were following the rules, you know, pass, passing the drug test, they'd be able to do it. So I think if, if I were coming up right now, I would still be a staunch cannabis advocate. I would make sure I pass my test so I don't get suspended. But I think I'd be, I think I'd be even more popular because the, the tide is moving. 
Well, um, just today I saw in the news that President Biden uh, has a bill on his desk that would reschedule cannabis and allow us to start doing more research. I'm um, I'm curious, you know, I, I and I commend you for the stand you took when you were, you know, still playing the NFL and the decision you made. But there is a former NFL star, Super Bowl champ here in Las Vegas. He was the first one to have his applications in with his business partners when Nevada was going to legalize marijuana, and that is former Raider Frank Hawkins. Um, and I'm just curious if you've crossed paths with him, if you've had conversations with him, especially when you're out here for the convention. Um, do you speak to Frank? Do you know Frank? Great question, of course, yeah. So uh, last year I, I came out to Vegas to, to speak at, um, at, a, at an event, and I was introduced to Frank, and I spent a couple of hours over at his dispensary, uh, up in his lounge upstairs in his Cannabis Hall of Fame. He said he was going to put me up there. i got to go check and make sure he did. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's a wonderful story, um, and, and I really love what he's doing. And you know, anyone listening, you should check out Frank's spot, especially if you're into uh, cannabis and sports. Ricky, we uh, we greatly appreciate you taking uh, a bit of time. The company is Heisman. You can find out more uh, about what Ricky Williams is doing in the cannabis space as an advocate. Thanks again for your time, man. Safe travels and happy holidays. Thanks, Ricky. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coalfield and Company rolls on here in just a moment with Willie Ramirez out at the Golden Circle at T.I., Adam Candy, and Ari back at the Finley Toyota Studios. This is just a different team, you know. We have the same attitude, like we have the same mindset. We're just trying to make it all come together right now. And sometimes it takes more time than you want to. Definitely takes more time than anyone on the outside wants it to. You know, because it's NFL. It's like, what can you do for me right now? But I think what our owner said is best. Like, you know, it's not built in just one day. You know what I mean? Like, it really isn't. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Coalfield and Company with Willie Ramirez, Adam Candy, ESPN Las Vegas, and ESPN Reno. You can join Cofield and Company at the Golden Circle Sportsbook inside Treasure Island every Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. you got free parking, great food and drink specials, 24-hour gambling kiosks available. Of course, the biggest and best stories from everything local right here on ESPN Las Vegas. And we got a little, uh, little incentive here to, to keep listening. If you want to win $15,000, rent or mortgage for a year espn las vegas aaron taylor the real estate guy are coming together to give you the chance to win fifteen thousand dollars to help you cover your rent or mortgage just do what you want to do with it all you got to do is go to lvsportsnetwork.com today enter for your chance to win fifteen thousand dollars rent or mortgage for a year from espn las vegas and aaron taylor the real estate guy 18 or older to enter go to lvsportsnetwork.com for details Willie, you heard the indecipherable accent of Derek Carr there on the way back in talking about how it is a different team this year. Um, In what way is it a different team this year? You know, I don't know what to believe or what to think about, you know, Derek. I think there's a part of him that's genuine. You just got to figure out when that's coming out. Um, Now, you know, here we are. With the two and seven team, right? Two and seven. Uh, Accurate that, information. That you know. Now we're hearing different things from from Derek Carr, Josh McDaniels. The other day, Josh McDaniels said, "Well, well, he knew that it was going to be a long pro." No, he didn't. 
Nobody ever said that. You never said that in training camp. That's a lie. Derek, now, well, it's a different team. What does that mean exactly? What, how, you're right. I mean, how is it different? Well, there's a new coaching staff in place, but in the training camp, everybody loved the system. It's coming together. It involves this person. It involves that person. Devontae's here, my college buddy, my best friend that I work out with every single offseason. Now he's finally here. How it's different is that there's a new system and there's a new coaching staff in place. Uh, it's supposed to be for the better. The problem that I have with these comments and excuses is that this was a team that was in disarray, probably the worst off-field disarray we've seen, the worst dysfunction that we've seen in previous years in terms of the circumstances when you talk about the John Gruden emails, when you talk about Henry Ruggs, RIP Tina Tintor, when you talk about Damon Arnett, when you talk about everything that that team endured last year, and yet they still reeled off enough to get to the playoffs, put 10 wins on the board. Derek Carr, the leader of the locker room. Now you're a fully healthy squad when the, team, when the season started. You have an offensive guru with six rings. You have your college buddy in town. You got a running back room. You got veteran edge rusher on the other side. Oh, it was okay to get rid of Yannick Ngakwe to join Max Crosby. What's the problem? Last year... Everything that you endured and everything was fine. I want to know what's different. What's different maybe is the chemistry and what's going on and what's being said and who's being blamed and where the fingers are being pointed. Because we've heard a lot of different things, Adam, since Sunday when Derek came in very emotional. And I believed, I don't believe they were crocodile tears. I believe that was all genuine. But the words that came out, the accusations that came out, and as things moved across the week there's a lot of moving parts there that aren't adding up and we're getting a lot of excuses here and there the only person that i actually believe in in, in somewhat of some genuinity is what darren waller told adam hill our guy in the company who was out at the facility yesterday and he got him alone for about four or five minutes before the rest of the clan hovered in well I'll just ask one simple question to anybody out there who is deciding who they want to believe. You think Devontae Adams came here for a rebuild? You think Devontae Adams chose to leave Aaron Rodgers and handpick his next destination because he was coming into a team that was building the next steps that it was going to come around next year? Cut the crap. They're underachieving. It is what it is. We get tired of getting up here every week and basically saying the same thing, especially when it's game after game like this. It gets exhausting and you see the type of things that we, you know, like he said, put our bodies through and the things we do to be able to come in here to, you know, we, we essentially get in a car accident, multiple car accidents, you know, every week. And most people, you know, get off of work for that. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Routes on Cofield and Company. Stanford Route joins us every Friday here on Cofield and Company to talk Raiders and NFL. You're with Adam Candy and Willie Ramirez. Uh, Steve Cofield is off with the Rebels. Stanford, I wish we were bringing you in to talk about a competitive AFC West and here's how the Raiders are working this new offense with Devontae Adams and Derek Carr. And instead, we bring you in here with a quarterback who is reduced to tears talking after the game, a wide receiver talking about how nothing is going the way he anticipated in a Raiders locker room that we don't have any sense of what's really going on inside of. So 
I'll, I'll ask you, man. They're, they're two and seven. With what you're seeing and what you're hearing from the Raiders, what is your sense of what's going on with this team? Oh, man, I think it's just a team that's uh, in disarray right now. I think it's a team that obviously is trying to find its way, has not been able to do that uh, for a lengthy period of time all season. And whenever you're losing, that's when you have those types of press conferences. That's when you have that type of mood throughout the locker room. So it's not something that's completely just, you know, out of the ordinary. It happens whenever you're losing. And for Devontae Adams coming over from the Green Bay Packers, where he's had a a lot of success individually and as a team, and for him to now come over with his college teammate, his college roommate within Derek Carr, and it seems that they just can't get out of their own way. It just seems like they just can't get over the hump. It seems like every game it's something new that's holding this team back obviously that's going to breed that frustration and then you're going to have like i said those types of uh conversations you're going to have those types of press conferences where it just seems like everything is just completely out of whack Stanford Derek Carr got out there and talked about how he wished everyone in the locker room had the same level of commitment and and i'm not trying to you know have you in here to to break apart the Raiders locker room or figure out who did what or who didn't do what but I guess I'm curious from your perspective having been inside NFL locker rooms how bad does it have to get inside the locker room before that spills out into the media oh well usually it uh usually you can sense it maybe throughout the even the end of training camp or the first part of the season where certain guys seem like they're either A, checked out, or B, just simply not willing to go ahead, balls to the wall, and put everything on the line for their team. But whenever it gets to a point to where now it's really affecting us as a whole, and now it's starting to show up in the win and loss column, that's when obviously players feel the need that, okay, you know what, I tried talking to this guy, we've had these closed-door team meetings, and it seems like nothing has happened, coach hasn't said anything, or it just seems like nothing's changing. So, yeah, to your point, that's when you know it's gotten bad whenever you start to see players voice it to the media, because as a player, as a teammate, you're always taught to keep everything in-house. So whenever people start to let things spill out of the outside of the house, that's when you know that things are getting pretty rough in, uh, in, inside those closed doors. Um, I, I want to dissect exactly what Adam just talked to you about in terms of Derek Carr. So he comes out of the apparent leaders meeting with the team after Sunday's loss to the Colts. His eyes are well. They're pink. Um, he start. He gets choked up. He's emotional. Now, to what he said, he never really called out a player in that press conference. What he said was, to know what the guys do to put in their bodies to go to sleep at night, the effort, I wish everybody appreciated and what they what they're doing there is a there's a there's a fine line if you dissect what he said on sunday that it could have also meant the coaches were the coaches on the same page that's number one number two on monday a story comes out sources say all of a sudden darren waller is the reason and he's the guy that's not putting forth all the effort i reached out to darren he texted back he wasn't going to entertain it days later Darren's available in the locker room, and he says, "With and, and, and I preface this by saying he was never the, the person who entered Adam Hill interviewed him. He never brought up Derek Carr's name when he said the reports that come out that players are frustrated with you. His first words were, "Derek and I have talked about it." So obviously, Stanford. My question is: Number one, is there a disconnect? Can there be with this staff 
and the team? Is there is is that what Derek Carr can be frustrated? Number two, how can you blame somebody that's not even on the field? I get it if he's injured, but he's not the sole reason. Darren Waller is not the sole reason for frustration. Can't be. Oh, there's no doubt about it. He, he's not the sole reason. I think that you can have certain times where a teammate may feel that a certain guy simply could go ahead and push through said injury. A guy could go ahead and try to speed up or expedite his recovery to get back out on the field uh, sooner. A guy could go ahead and just tough it out or just play through it, as you see other guys on another team do it. So there's always going to be that type of a that type of a disconnect. There's always going to be that difference of opinion. You just do your best to try to keep that in house. And I mean, when you look at how coming into this season. Yeah, Derek Carr, the quarterback. You got Devontae Adams. You got Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller as your weapons on the outside. Obviously, Josh Jacobs in the backfield. That seems like a nice trio of receivers. That seems like a nice quartet of playmakers. So with Darren Waller not being out there, that's where some people may feel, okay, you know what? He's injured, obviously, but we feel like he can probably play through that. Maybe he can go ahead and tough it out a little bit more, have a, a higher pain threshold, something like that. So you're always going to have those types of uh, those types of opinions, and that's just because, you know, that's the nature of the game. you got 53 different guys on that, on that roster, and everybody's going to have their own way that they see things. And so it's unfortunate, but whenever you're losing, that's when all of a sudden every little small minute issue, every little small detail gets overly scrutinized by all the players. Speaking with former Raider Stanford route. So Stanford 2-7 and team, um, and now you're sort of in a quagmire in terms of, all right, are we going to play for a draft pick? Are we going to scrap this out? I, I can't imagine this team can make a run into the postseason. How lost is this season? Oh man, like when you really, really look at it from the standpoint of, of, of the of the standings, this season is not completely lost. From a morality standpoint, it seems like it probably is. So right now, I think that you just want to see your best foot forward. Obviously, players are not going to tank. You'll see that out of GMs. You'll see that out of owners, you know, people within the front office. And you just want to go out there and get a W this week against the Denver Broncos. That's really the biggest thing. And I think that right there will be able to quiet a lot of the noise, at least for the time being, for these Las Vegas Raiders. But, you know, I just feel that there's too much talent on the offense side of the ball and even on the defense side in certain areas that it just, man, it just, it just shouldn't be this bad right now, Josh McDaniel's first year. But just like coming into this season, Somebody was going to be last in the division. We knew that. And it very well could have been any of the four based on a lot of what you saw within the offseason or what you didn't see from certain teams in the offseason. It's just an unfortunate situation. And, you know, if the Raiders were to go ahead and want to just get in full rebuild mode and I'll be playing for high draft pick, I would understand it. I wouldn't like to see it, but I definitely would understand the direction and the mindset. Stanford what you just said about the Raiders and the fact that there's too much talent and there were bigger expectations, that all could apply to the Denver Broncos as well. And this Denver team also is in disarray right now. What do you see when you look at the Broncos? I just think that you got a, a, a quarterback who's in a new city. He's in a new environment in a new locker room in a new conference with a new head coach a new play caller and i think that you know it just takes time and i think a lot of people always expect some magic to happen right away that's just not how football works and then i think that also 
because of Russell Wilson's stature, because of his resume, because of everything that he accomplished in his illustrious career in those first 10 years with the Seattle Seahawks, I do believe that people are starting to have certain expectations based on that original resume. I'll go ahead and run it down for you, and I'll ask you guys this question. We all see Russell Wilson, a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, two-time Super Bowl appearance uh, for the big game. So I'll ask this. If we take away the Legion of Boom, and we take away, thus, Russell Wilson's championship, Super Bowl championship. Do we view Russell in the same hierarchy of quarterbacks within the NFL? I ask both of you guys that question. Yeah, Stanford, I think it's a legitimate question because we know how legendary that defense was. It's one of the greatest defenses ever in the NFL. And you look at the collection of talent now, and you have even more appreciation, I think, for what Pete Carroll and that whole Legion of Boom defense was able to do. And then you look at the fact that Marshawn Lynch was in his absolute prime at the time that Seattle was able to do everything that it was doing at the time. I I don't know. I don't know if we look at it that way, but I think you have a legitimate point, and I'm curious to know what Willie thinks. Well, and so real quick, real quick, quick, uh, the Legion of Boom was created by whom? Last year's defensive coordinator. Uh, Gus Bradley. and Yeah, Gus Bradley. And Gus Bradley, now with the Indianapolis Colts, beat whom? The Kansas City Chiefs. Beat whom? The Las Vegas Raiders. They lost to the Broncos, but it was a 13-12 ball game. I, last year, said, that's at least one guy that should be left on this staff. Um, so, yeah, I get what you're trying to say as far as Russell Wilson's concerned, where his legacy might be. Um, you know, But, yes, that Legion of Boom was a big part of it. It was a major part of it. It was one of the stories of a Super Bowl champ where the defense was the big story like we've seen in the past with the classic Bears team of the, you know, in 85 and then, of course, the Ravens teams that won defenses or won Super Bowl with the defense. Um, so, yeah, I get it. Um, it's just when you bring a guy in, when you bring players in with the magnitude, the offensive allure that they have, Russell Wilson to Denver, Devontae Adams to Las Vegas, and a lot is put at stake and, 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 ex- and the expectations are raised, and then nothing happens, it, it's, it's mind-blowing and it, and it speaks volumes. And that right there is the point. It's the expectations that you just said. So I'm going to ask both of you guys this question. Um, let's, let's quantify this. Right now, coming into this season, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being, one being sorry, 10 being the absolute best, what did the general population view Russell Wilson as coming in, as a quarterback coming into this season? The general population saw that, uh, I think, probably around a 6 or a 7. If you ask some of the members of this company – it well, was no, a I'm three or a four. No, I'm, talking about, I'm, I'm talking about how they viewed Russell Wilson as a quarterback. Oh. Like within the league, as far as one being sorry, 10 oh, being guess. elite or, you know, Hall of Fame worthy, great, whatever you want to call it. I would what say 8.5 ish. I would put it okay, in an 8.5. Is that what you both guys, both of you guys think? I think it was probably an eight. Yeah. I think okay. Probably, yeah, fair. So now let's go ahead and say this. Hypothetical. Let's take away Russell Wilson's Super Bowl appearances, which means we take away his championship. Now then, is Russell Wilson still viewed as an eight and a half slash eight? No. No, absolutely not. Because we view all quarterbacks differently who don't have a championship. And and whether it's fair or not, we always do it. So there we go. 
So there you go. Him as, you know, you'd view him as what? A seven, seven and a half, six point five, something like that. Uh, you, you, well, you, the question is, do you view him as a guy that you're going to give a five year major money contract to and tie the franchise for the next half a decade to that quarterback? That's really the question. Stanford, I wish we could continue this discussion on all the way through the weekend, my man, but uh, we, we got some bills to pay, and I'm yeah, sure yeah, you've got better you things do. to do than chop it do. up with us. So, <laughs> Stanford Rout joins us every Friday to give some NFL insights, former Raider, former Houston Texan. Thanks, man. Happy holidays, and uh, be safe out there. You guys be good, man. Talk to you next week. All right. Former Raider great Hall of Famer Rod Woodson joining us. Talk a little XFL here in just a moment.